Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. For 2023, our little church has set the audacious goal of reaching 150 people for Christ. Yeah, we believe we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And our prayer has been to Lord make our efforts successful. That's Moses' prayer from Psalm 90. So we're going to be intentional about who and how we're going to reach. We're talking about being a light into a dark and dying world. I mean, you don't have to look far to see that this world is dark and dying, that people are lost and don't know where to find hope. This world is desperate, so desperate, that they will turn to anything to find a little hope in this world. Am I right? They will turn to the government for hope. They will turn to reassigning their personal gender and mutilating themselves to find hope. They will turn to everything that this evil world has to offer them. They will destroy their lives in addiction. They'll destroy their lives with manipulation and abuse. They'll do whatever they got to do to find hope. And that's why our society, our culture is crumbling around us because it's a world desperate for hope and everything seems hopeless but we have found the light. We have found the light. We have discovered the answer, and we know where our hope comes from. We know that it's not in us. It's in him. We know that he is the only one that has the answer. And so this year, we're talking about taking that light of hope and shining it into this dark and dying world. Are you with me on that? I mean, we've got to. We've got to. Our world desperately needs to see that light. And Jesus looked at us and he said, you are the light of the world. You are that city on a hill. You are the ones that will be bringing hope to this dark and dying world. So we say that we're all about making the gospel relevant to people around us. Because frankly, they think that our religion doesn't have any bearing. They think that church doesn't mean anything. They think that they think that none of this really has to do with them at all. And we're just wanting to show them that man, the gospel will make a difference in your life right now. Wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going through, the gospel will bring Jesus into your life and he changes everything. Am I right? He changes everything. So we've discovered this. We've discovered this, and what it does is it takes that hopelessness and it gives it purpose, gives it meaning, it gives it power. And so we practice this in our own lives. We are people who are all about trusting Jesus enough to actually obey him in his great commandment to us, right? So he was asked one day, uh, what's the greatest commandment in the scripture? And he was very clear in Matthew 22. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he didn't stop there. He said a second one is equally important. He said, you must love your neighbor as yourself. 
And he says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets, everything in your Bible are based on these two commandments. He takes loving God and he takes loving others. And he, remember the Legos, he locks them together. They're inseparable. You can't love God unless you're loving others. And so he locks them together and he says, this is your commandment. This is the great commandment. Love God and love others. So we actually believe him on this, but we, we have another thing that he's given us, and we don't call it the great commandment. We call it the great, come on, the great what? The great commission. He commissions us to do something on his behalf. He says uh, in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So go and make disciples. He actually says, go and do what I do. Right? In John, he says that as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In other words, in the same way that I've been sent, on the same purpose that I've been sent, for the same reason that I've gone, I, so I, am sending you. Okay, I'm just delegating on my responsibility to you. I'm just delegating on what I do to you. So what this means is, I do what he does. I go where he goes. I talk like he talks because I'm continuing the work that he started. He gives us this great, what is it again? Great commission. Yeah, what this means is, first blank on your page, we work on commission, right? We work on commission. Why else would Jesus have told the stories of the 10 servants? Why else would he have told the stories of the talents that he gives to the other servants? Why else would he tell these stories except to communicate that I am giving you authority in this world? I want you to invest and produce fruit. I want you to invest and produce fruit. I expect a return on this work that you are doing. This is what Jesus clearly, clearly expects of us. He expects us to work on commission. And those early disciples, that early church, dude, they took this seriously. They didn't joke around about this. They reordered their entire lives around this idea. It wasn't like they, you know, came to church and heard somebody talk and then maybe it somewhat affected them here or there. Maybe it kind of encouraged them on Thursday or Friday or they felt better about themselves, you know, when they were going through some depression. No, 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 it wasn't like that. They completely reordered their lives around this thing that Jesus called them to do. So you remember that day, that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on those disciples. And it was, remember, it was nine o'clock in the morning, but something was going on with them. And it drew a crowd of people. And even though it was nine o'clock in the morning, people were like, they're idiots or they're drunk. <laughs> they didn't know what was going on at first. And Peter saw what was happening and he seized the moment and he preached his first sermon to all of those that had gathered and he preached, and many people came to Christ 
thousands of people started coming to Christ right then and right there. And the church began to move, began to change, began to explode as a result. Here, this was a brand new, you know, religion, a brand new community of people. And all of a sudden, it is conquering ground for Jesus. All of a sudden, it's making a huge difference in their world. And in Acts 2, it describes, Luke describes for us how this community reordered their lives, how they actually repurposed everything they did around this thing that Jesus called them to. Here's what it says. A deep sense of awe came over them all. They were in awe of what God was doing. Does God ever do anything in your life worth being in awe over? So they were in awe, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. You see that? They came to the temple to worship God every day. And then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people And each day, look at this, look at this. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. People just kept coming and kept coming. They were so blown away by the lifestyle of these Christians, these people of the way, as they were called at that time, who had discovered the truth, found hope, and put purpose into their lives and lived their lives in such a way that people just couldn't help but be attracted by it, be changed by it. So daily, God's adding to their fellowship those who are not coming to church. It says this, not coming to church, not being good, not just joining in for the you know dinners in the homes, but he's adding daily to those who were being saved. This was a movement that was happening. This was a huge seismic shift in all of culture and history. You you realize that every non-Christian, every time they write the date, they're acknowledging this movement, right? Every time they write the date, they're effectively confessing that something established time as we understand it today right? It changed everything. This movement began to push back the pagan cultures of the world, and it changed the course of history. We know, we know from lots of extra-biblical, sometimes even non-Christian writings, documents that we have preserved to this day from that late first century and early second century time period, we know that they lived in a completely different way. They saw themselves, first of all, as a community of people who were interspersed within their society. So they identified, they identified with each other, yet they spread out 
and they made sure that they didn't huddle up in their groups, but yet they wanted to make sure they had influence on the culture as a whole. They worshiped regularly together, praying openly together and individually. They treated everyone, no matter who they were, equally with respect, dignity, and love. Didn't matter what ethnicity you had. Didn't matter what country you came from. Didn't matter what class structure you occupied. Everybody was welcomed, whether master or slave, Jew or Gentile, black, white, green, and orange. It didn't matter. They loved and accepted anyone. This group of people, the Roman Christians, they actually adopted the unwanted babies who were left to die in the streets, a common practice in Rome at the time. They lived their lives set apart from the debauchery of the culture. Like today, their culture was a dark, dying disaster. And so those early Christians would not go to the, the big gladiator games at the time because of what that all represented. They wanted to be set apart from that. They didn't go to the extravagant parties that the wealthy threw in the time because of what all came along with that. They wanted to remain set apart, living their lives in such a way that everything they did glorified God. And they loved each other with a radical love. They cared for everybody, no matter who they were. And they were eager to tell everybody about the person that was changing their lives. They were eager to tell whoever would listen about Jesus who was transforming them into something new. This was a movement that changed everything. And it ought to make you ask the question, what has happened to us? We are their direct descendants. What has happened to us? Does this describe who we are? I mean, think about it. You and I are so blessed, so fortunate to be born at a time where not only are we living in a nation founded on the biblical Christian principles of the ultimate level of human liberty, where I am not a servant to all kinds of other masters, including government ones above me, but I'm free to serve him directly, right? So not only are we in this nation, this, this first in history nation to be founded on these godly principles, but we live in such a time where we literally had the ability to broadcast our message around the world in our pocket, and yet as soon as we start talking about shining our light, as soon as we start thinking about sharing our faith with somebody, we get really quiet. We go negative, right? We all of a sudden aren't all about Jesus anymore. We just, mm, we just mm, clam right up. We go negative on that. What has, what has happened to us? These people told everybody they could about Jesus in the face of potentially being thrown to lions. But we live in a Christian nation 
with a portable television studio in our pocket, and we're scared to do it. Why do we go negative? I got, I got four reasons. They're the next few blanks on your page. Four reasons I think we go negative. Number one, we're scared. We got fear. We got fear. We're just scared. We're, we've got fear of rejection. You know, we're worried that somebody might think less of us. We're fearful that we might be on the outs with somebody if we actually boldly proclaim about this life change that is supposedly happening inside of us. So we're scared. Second thing is we don't feel that we are equipped. We don't feel like we're ready. I don't even know what I would say. I don't have two verses memorized. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And I think, by the way, just time out. I think it's a bad excuse. I think that a lot of us use it. I think it's a bad excuse, number one. Number one, because if you come to church here, every single Sunday, I'm training you on this. Because every single Sunday when I'm preaching, you're going to hear the same story over and over and over again. Am I right? Because I'm not going to let you walk out that door without hearing the bad news of your sin and the good news of God's grace. You're, you're not ever going to walk out this door without hearing about Jesus and how he is the hope for your life. And I'm going to say it the same way next Sunday that I'm going to say it today that I said it last Sunday because it is all about him. I always say, all I got for you is Jesus. I got nothing else. You know, when we, when we meet Jesus, what he does is he convicts us of our sin, leads us to repentance, and calls us to just trust in him, follow him. That's the gospel. And so, number one, you hear about it all. You ought to have it memorized by now. And number two, you know, we, uh, I told you last week, we are working with our Gideon partners and we decided that we would open up a couple of classes. They've developed a great strategy to help leverage conversations for the sake of the gospel. Because, you know, I, I was brought up where you learned how to memorize an outline and preach a sermon at somebody for 30 minutes and hope they turn their lives over to Christ. You know, I'll, I'll repent anything to get you to shut up, you know, basically. Right? And so I learned that method, but that doesn't work in the 21st century. And so they've developed a great thing. Our, our deacon buddies have developed a great thing to leverage conversations. People need to be heard, and they need to have a conversation. And so last week I told you that we'd uh, offer two of those, and you have to RSVP, and you did. You got online and you RSVP'd, and we filled both of those up before we even left last Sunday. So they're full. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Great, great problem to have. Praise the Lord. Um, and so I got with our deacon guys, and I was like, dude, we're, we're full now. Um, so uh, I got one big, fat, giant life group, the Chadwick life group. You saw them singing earlier. Big group. Can we do one just for them? And can we open another one up? So we added two more, kind of a, a, a private one for their life group and then a public one for anybody. And I'm supposed to tell you to scan the QR code and sign up for that open one today, but it's full. <laughs> Because I did in the early service and full. So I'm going to have to get with Jim. Bob, I'm going to have to get with Jim, and I'm going to be like, dude, we need another class. So the, the third one uh, is on March the 12th. We'll just fill up as many days as we need to to help you be equipped on this. Can I get an amen? So if you haven't already signed up, you can still use the QR code, and you can get on the waiting list and take those first seats as soon as they become available because we'll let you know, hey, we're opening it up now, and you can drop yourself right on into that class and be equipped. Don't 
Go negative. Be equipped. The third thing, sorry, I need to get on this. The third thing is we buy the lie. We buy the lies from Satan. You know, the accuser wants to come to you. Who do you think you are sharing your faith? You think you really, they know who you really are. They know what comes out of your mouth. They know your attitude. They know that you really aren't everything you think you are. You better just keep your mouth shut. And we buy the lies from the devil on this. And then the last thing I think is that we just frankly don't believe what we're selling. I think we don't believe that we that we don't believe what we're selling. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I didn't come up with this one. I had a friend of mine years ago, years ago. I was trying to share Christ and he refused. And he said, I'll tell you why I'm not going to believe. He said, why would I believe it? Because you don't believe it. And I said, what do you, what do you mean by that? I'm sitting here trying to tell you about it. <laughs> why would I tell you if I didn't believe it? And he's like, no, you don't believe it. He said, listen, because I know what's in your Bible. And he said, I know that in Revelation, I know that, you know, it tells about the fact that there's a day coming when anyone who's not a believer is going to be cast into eternal torture, torment, pain, judgment. It's all going to end awfully for those people in awful misery, eternal damnation. I know that's coming. And if you really believe that, all of you Christians would be out in the streets on your knees begging everybody to come to Christ. But you don't. He says, you don't even tell your friends and your relatives about it. You guys get saved and then you shut up about it and let us all go to hell or you don't believe it. And I was like, that's con isn't that convicting? That's convicting. And I think that's what happens. I think for us, we just don't, we just don't really believe it. We don't really believe that our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors are headed for eternity separated from God, so we just shut up about it all. But all these, all these reasons that we go negative, listen, they're just satanic strongholds in our lives. This is how Satan has gotten the victory over you and over me. He's winning this fight in our minds and in our hearts. And I don't want that to happen to you. You don't want it either, do you? Of course, no, of course you don't. So I did a, I did a sermon series at the, toward the end of last year about winning the spiritual war, and I did a whole sermon on strongholds in your life. And so on your note sheet, there's another QR code that you can scan, and it takes you right to a playlist of all of those. I want you to deal with the strongholds in your life. I don't want you to sit there and roll over and just let it happen to you. You hear me? I want that to stop, and I want you to win. I want you to be victorious, and I want you to shine your light for all to see. So here's my question. If something has happened to us, if we've gone from movement to negative quiet, what would it take for us to come back? What would it really take for us to come back from this? We gotta, we gotta get rid of these strongholds in our lives. We've gotta believe what we're selling. We gotta see our friends and our neighbors the way Jesus sees them and actually love them, care about them, wanna see them come to Christ.
like our Gideon brothers do. My friend Bob Burgess, who's our Gideon representative here at the Orchard Church. Bob, come on up here. I've asked him to come and just to tell us a little bit about how, yeah, come on, welcome Bob on up here. He's going to tell us just a little bit about he and his Gideon team are doing just this. I'm compelled to say God is good this morning. My wife Marty and I are here representing uh, the Gideons. There are 65 of us in Ellijay. There's a quarter of a million of us around the world. We're all in business to do one thing, and that is to take God's Word and His salvation message to a lost and dying world. We know it's working because people are being changed. Lives are being saved. I thought I would take a little bit of a spin off of what Pastor Steve has been talking about, which is basically going, sharing, preaching, and give you two examples of how the Gideons are evangelizing. One is that we, we go far. Many Gideons find themselves traveling in faraway places in the world where they stay for weeks at a time with other Gideons from here, from there, taking what I refer to as the most precious, divine, powerful, spiritual packed package of dynamite. Because when it goes off in here, everything changes. And this is our primary product, believe it or not. So when they go, they take hundreds of thousands of these and they go into villages and they go into towns and they go into churches and they go into police stations. They are welcomed around the world, unlike here. Take a moment and look at a Gideon on the screen far away from home. It's one morning in Mozambique in a little village. We began to, we stopped there to find directions to the next school and the people were there and we began to hand out hundreds of testaments. And then there she stood, she was many years my, my senior. Her hair was as white as cotton. Her face was wrinkled and her hands was like leather. She stood there with her hands cupped, patiently waiting for her own copy. And I took and laid that Portuguese testament over into her hands. And when I laid that little testament in her hands, she said, Abrigato, Abrigato. She kissed it. And then I looked back and it was just a sea of hands and I began to hand them theirs. And I heard her say something. I turned and looked and she was crying. Tears were falling down that wrinkled face onto the open pages now of the Word of God that I just handed her. They began to pool upon those words and not understanding Portuguese, I asked my interpreter, I said, oh, John, John, what is she saying? And he began to cry. I said, John, tell me what she's saying. And she said, I've always heard there was such a book, but I never thought that I'd ever see one. That ranks among my greatest memories as a Gideon. When 
whenever I need a reminder of why I'm a Gideon, I play that. It chokes me up. But that man is an evangelist. He did exactly what God asked him to do. He went. He planned his trip perfectly. He laid it out. There were going to be several villages that they were going to visit. So off he went. He got there. But guess what? They got lost. You think that was a mistake? I don't think it was a mistake. God took them to a different village. And he had to decide how he was going to behave at that point. I also believe that that lady that we're talking about here, God brought to that village for a purpose. She needed Jesus. You know what's going on here? What's going on here is God's at work. And we have to be aware of what he's doing. And if we need to change directions to serve him, we should be ready to do that. And that's what I think happened here. I think it's a great example of what evangelism in action really looks like. I think that's what we're being asked to do right here. I totally admire what you all are doing with this personal witnessing training that's coming up, and I think you're going to really love it. Um, coming a little closer to home, Gideon's evangelized in LJ. My personal ministry headquarters is the Waffle House. And I'm serious. <laughs> and I've told Steve this before. I pack these testaments in my pockets and I just load up and I'll get six or eight of them and I go sit in that, if I can find that center stool at that counter, I order my coffee and I just wait for God to show me. What do you want me to do? And I beg him not to allow me to leave that place with one of these left in my pocket. It is amazing if you ask him to get into the plan with you, what he'll do. Marty and I, when we drive around LJ, we always have our pockets, purses, cars packed with these. I, I can witness the gospel pumping a tank of gas. I can do it in the barbershop. I can do it in a restaurant. I can do it almost anywhere. So I just want you to know that the Gideons so love the Lord and have so felt his call on our lives that we believe that witnessing is a way of life. It's not an occasional occurrence. And the more you work around that notion, the more you step out when you have fear, as we've talked about this morning, the more you want to do it, the more victories you're going to receive, the more blessings you're going to get out of the witnessing. So I just want to encourage you. I also want to just tell you that this little camp here in town last year distributed a little over 4,000 testaments, schools, hospitals, police stations, first responders, Apple Festival, any place where there's what we call a high traffic lane of life where there are people that we can take scriptures to. And we also had a really blessed event which I think was the catalyst of bringing us to where we are today and that is that we joined this church up on Tower Road on a back to school backpack and testament event last year so there's a lot going on that I think you all should be very grateful for that this church is behind not only 
it's not the Gideons. What they're behind is sharing God's word in a very, very effective way. We see it in our ministry when, we're, when one person comes to Christ and we know they've been eternally changed. It doesn't stop there because those who see and hear and bear witness to that transformation, they begin to change. And then others begin to change. And it's like evangelism on steroids at some time. It's just amazing how God can take one little book like this and save so many people with it. I'll just close by telling you a little bit about the Gideons real quick. Our ministry has been blessed by God for 123 years. It inspires me that every morning I know that 245,000 Gideon men and women wake up roll out of bed, put their feet on the floor, and ask God to place somebody in their path that needs Jesus. And so far, He has allowed us to take 2.5 billion of these little booklets, these little testaments, and hand them out to another person one at a time. We are very grateful for the relationships that we have with so many churches around the world, and we are praying that this new relationship that we're developing with the Orchard Church is going to be one of the best ever. So please pray for us in that regard. Would you pray too that God would open doors in so many more countries that are still closed to His Word? It is amazing how we're still being shut out so much around the world to His precious Word. And would you pray that we would continue to be able to fund ourselves we're a member-funded organization. These things don't get produced unless we, and we need more members, we need more dollars, and we need to get these things to our brothers and sisters around the world. Just pray for that. And let me just close here. First of all, as I've told Steve, my six or eight months of coming and visiting with you all has caused me to conclude that there is an extremely sweet, godly aroma in this place. And you should be aware of that. I pray that each of you will be among the ones that God will use to go and seek and save the lost. I pray, I pray that right away you all would begin this whole idea of having a conversation about Jesus Christ with people that you love. Do it today. I love this church. God bless you all. Thank you very much. Bob has caused us to ask the question, you know, who do I know? Who can, who can I identify with? Who do I know around me that's like maybe some of the people on the video? Maybe a coworker or a neighbor or a friend. I believe... I actually believe right now that God's laying somebody on your heart even as I'm speaking. That, God, that God's got somebody that he's put you here to interact with and to bring him to Christ. Our elders have set a goal for us to win 150 people to Jesus this year. And I believe that's a huge goal for us. And if we're gonna reach that goal, 
If we're going to reach anyone, it's only going to come through prayer. Am I right? It's only going to come empowered by the Holy Spirit through prayer. And so I believe, I believe God answers specific prayer specifically. Do you? I believe when we ask him specifically, he'll answer specifically. So I'm going to ask you to look on the look in the little package of material that you got when you came in, and uh, you should have received a card that says "My Three in 2023." And I'm not going to ask you to write on this right now. Don't write on this right now. This is your card that I'm going to later ask you to write the names of three people that God is laying on your heart. Maybe a relative. It may be a coworker. But it's somebody that God wants you to be praying for and to be aiming for in reaching 150 people for Christ this year. I just want you to know I made my list, which I hope is my first three, uh, uh, several weeks ago, and I started praying for them. One of the people on my list is a new friend that I've made at the gym. His name is Paul, and he's from out of town. He just moved here recently with his wife, and uh, they are not believers. And so I barely know this guy because, you know, gym acquaintances, you know, you're busy. You're busy at the gym. You didn't come to hang out and socialize. Well, some people go there to hang out and socialize. But some of us go there to, you know, we get our stuff done and we go there in the morning. So we go there to exercise, to work out, and then to get to the meeting on time. So I got a kind of a short amount of time uh, I get there, I try to be there at about 6, and I try to be out of there by about 7.30 because uh, I want to be somewhere at about 7.30-ish. So um, I got stuff to do. So uh, I've been praying for Paul for some time, and we just casually and cordially, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, Paul, you know, whatever. And several days after I put him on my list, several days went by. I was praying for him, but I didn't see him in the gym uh, for several days. And then one day I was... Uh, back in the back of the gym and I was about halfway through my little workout and I was switching from one thing to another and Paul walked up and he's like hey Steve how you doing I was like hey Paul good to see you and Paul just started talking to me and he started unpacking some of the junk that's going on in his life he doesn't know me he just started he just felt the urge to come start cultivating that with me and here's me I'm here's how dumb I am I'm listening to him talk, and I'm, I'm thinking, I got to be out of here in 15. I got somewhere to be. Um, I, and so I start kind of giving the verbal cues, like, okay, uh, all right, okay, uh, okay, okay, you know, trying to get him to clue in that I'm busy and I got to get somewhere. And I literally am going, how long is this guy going to talk? And then I realized, this is what I was praying for. <laughs> And I wonder how many times in my life do I find myself too busy or too distracted to receive the very blessings that God wants to pour into my life. And so I stopped and I just tuned right in and Paul hadn't come to know Christ yet, but we're cultivating that relationship. And I believe that we're gonna turn on a light on our light wall when Paul comes to know Christ this year. So be praying for Paul, but I know you've got yours also. And I'm just gonna ask you to quietly right now, just be praying about this in the back of your mind. Uh, and in a minute, we're gonna all write our names down together. So I, I got a question for you. Something's changed. We were a movement and now we're scared. And what would it take to come back from that? My other question is, why 
couldn't it happen again? Why couldn't an incredible movement of God happen all over again? Why not? Is God the same today that he was then? That was weak. Is God the same today that he was then? Yes. Praise the Lord. Is the Holy Spirit at work today as he was then? Yes. Is his purpose of redeeming the world the same today that it was then? Yes. And does our world desperately need redeeming today as it did then? So why can't it happen all over again? Why can't it happen today? I'll tell you why it needs to happen today. It's because of my grandkids. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Look, they couldn't be any cuter. Come on, look at them. So it's Carter and McKinley, and they are just as cute as can be, and that's what their life is like right now, for the most part. You know, he's a little older, she's a little younger, and um, they just love each other. I mean, I, I've watched, I've watched Carter make sure he cares for his little sister as best as he can. He thinks about her and he tries to provide for her a little bit. And when I look at them, I mean, when I look at them, I can see the image of God. He's created them like he's created you in his beautiful, majestic, glorious image. And when I look at them, I can see a little bit of him in them. God's created all of us in his image to be like him. But I also see something else. Carter doesn't know a whole lot of words just yet, but I'll tell you two words he really does know. No and mine. <laughs> mine. So I'll watch. They love each other. They want to play together and everything. And sometimes, sometimes we'll be in Carter's room playing with his toys and McKinley will kind of crawl over and she'll take the wrong thing from him. And he goes nuts. No, mine! And he gets mad. I've watched him put his hand on her face and shove her head away as he's pulling the thing out of her grip. This is why our world needs redeeming because even though everyone you'll ever meet is created in the image of God, we're also born into rebellion against God. We're hardwired for mine. We're hardwired for selfishness. We're hardwired for pride. We're hardwired to push against those around us. The biblical word for that is sin. It's open rebellion and treasonous crime against God. We're hardwired for it. We're born into it, right? And we desperately, desperately need redeeming, bringing back to that image. Problem is because we're so wired, we can't get there ourselves. We cannot do it ourselves. We are so irreparably broken that there's just nothing we can do. We can try. You can buy all the self-help books on Amazon, right? You can watch all the Tony Robbins videos that you got. You know, you can do all of that stuff. You can practice all the eight great habits of successful people, right? You can take all the coaching for all the everything in your behavior and your psychology and your business. You can do all that stuff, but still you and I fall short. We're 
broken by sin. We cannot be what he designed us to be. He says, you must be holy as I am holy, and we can't get there. And since we can't get there, we're doomed to eternity in judgment, pain, torment, separated from God. But for some reason, God looks at you, and even without him, he can still see his image. It might be obscured, it might be buried, it might be really hard to find, but he can see it in you. He loved you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to come here and to take your punishment on the cross to take the judgment for your sin on himself, to die in your place. You couldn't get there, so he just did it for you. You couldn't make it, so he just accomplished it all for you. And he died for me and for you on the cross. Cold and dead, he goes to the grave. But three days later, he rose again. And with his life, he now moves into your life and he begins to unpack his father. And as he does that, he changes you. He turns you into something new. He redeems you so that you look like him more and more. That's what he's doing in you, right? Isn't that what he's doing in you? Well, why can't he do it in your neighbor? If he's doing it in you, you know who you were. You know where you came from. You know what your old self is like. You still see it sometimes. It still rears its ugly head, but he still loves you and he's changing you. And if he's doing it in you, why can't he do it in your nephew? Why can't he do it in your sister? Why can't he do it in your coworker? If he's doing it in you, why can't he do it anywhere? This is what Jesus came here to do. His work is to redeem the broken, to redeem the sinner. We have discovered the only answer. It's Jesus, and we are on commission for him. That's our role in this world. Next blank on your page. It's redemption on commission. Redemption on commission. So we pray our prayer all the time. We pray our prayer, you know, that we're praying this year. Psalm 90, Lord. Let us, your servants, see you work again and let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, Lord, make our efforts successful. Those early believers, they prayed a similar prayer. It wasn't that prayer, but it was a very similar prayer. Peter had preached another sermon and they prayed a prayer for success and for God's approval that God would do something in and through them. And in Acts 4, we see what happened as a result. They prayed that prayer and it says, the place where they were meeting shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Oh Lord, that's what we want to happen here. We wanna be shaken by you. And Lord, we wanna be filled with your Holy Spirit. And Father, we want like those early disciples, to preach the word of God with boldness. Lord, use us in people's lives. Use us on commission, Lord, to change the world around us. The last blank on your page this morning, if you're taking notes, is that the only hope is redemption and the only redeemer is Jesus. Jesus.